Our first scripture reading in the morning is from the book of Romans in the New Testament, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, very uh, short passage, looking at chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. I invite you to follow along on the screen. Paul writing says this, For I am not, not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I begin, I'll begin with a question. How many of you have ever been lost? How did you find your way back to where you needed to be? In the old days, we would use maps. How many of us use maps today? Not too many. Now, we might use our memories from previous experiences if we remember if something looks familiar. Of course, today we have GPS on our phone, which tells us what road we're on, when we're supposed to turn, how many miles and minutes it will be before we finally reach our destination. Heaven forbid we should have to stop and ask for directions, which no guy ever wants to do. I'm reminded of the story of the husband and wife who are flying in a hot air balloon and they became lost. And noting that they were in this kind of precarious situation, the man flying in the balloon sort of swallowed his pride, and then he lowered the height of that balloon to try to ask for directions to someone who was on the ground. And he spotted a man down below, and so they navigated that balloon towards the ground. And on getting closer to a man who was standing in the middle of the field, the lost man, the one in the balloon, said, excuse me, can you tell us where we are? And the man on the ground yelled back, you are in a hot air balloon. (laughs) And the man in the hot air balloon said to his wife and say, that guy is a Presbyterian. (laughs) And she said, oh, come on, how do you know that? And the man in the hot air balloon said to his wife, because he speaks the truth, but what he says is absolutely irrelevant. Well, whatever the means, all of us need someone or something to help guide us. And so it is in our life of faith. In our second scripture reading, that's also from the New Testament, we get a word of encouragement, which we all need, that comes from the Apostle Paul to his young protege, Timothy. And it is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. This passage was also written on the inside of this Bible that was given by the church I attended upon the occasion of my graduation back in June of 19... (laughs) And by God's grace, he has continued to use this scripture passage in my life of faith and as a pastor. And so I invite you to follow along as I read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. I invite you to follow along on the screen. Once again, Paul writing says, But as for you, 
Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, which is rebuking, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, as we open up your word, we pray that you would give us what we most need to hear today and that you might fill our hearts with the light and life and love of Jesus Christ as we pray it in his holy name. Amen. Well, I am launching us out into a new sermon series today that I am calling the five, the five solas of the Reformation. And over the next several weeks, we're going to delve into these five critical truths that shaped the Protestant Reformation, stirring people like John Wycliffe, Jan Hus, Martin Luther, Ulrich Zwingli, and John Calvin, and many, many others. And these five truths set in motion the renewal of the Christian faith and the transformation of the surrounding culture. And they are in order, beginning with today, sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. Sola fide, which is faith alone. Sola gratia, which is grace alone. Sola Christus, Christ alone, and then we will conclude next month in June with Sola Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. Now, let me go down a side road of history because by way of introduction, at the turn of the 16th century, the church had sort of drifted far afield from its original gospel message. So immersed and entangled in politics and power, they had lost focus of who it was and, and why Jesus Christ had established the church in the first place. And this confusion expressed itself in heretical practices and in improper theological doctrine. Now, their intentions may have been good, but the, result, the results were disastrous. For example, the desire to honor God with a beautiful church in Rome, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad idea, but deciding to fund it by selling indulgences, which is money for the forgiveness of sins and a reduced time in purgatory, certainly is not good. The desire to have a uniformed worship service, very traditional, wasn't necessarily sinful, but it came at the price of keeping the Bible out of the hands of lay people and only in the hands of trained professionals, priests. The desire to have a clear and focused theology wasn't evil, but killing people who disagreed with a particular belief or doctrine certainly was. Well, it is into this confusion and chaos that the question arose, on what basis, in other words, what authority should Christians make their decisions? Now, if you think about it, we're sort of faced with the same dilemmas today, aren't we? 
when we are confronted with a particular challenge or issue, whether it be morally or socially or politically or religiously, we make our decisions based on what? Maybe human reason, maybe experience, maybe tradition, maybe science, or the stubbornness of our culture, the stubbornness of our people. Well, we don't need any authority. As the writer G.K. Chesterton once said, if a man comes to the edge of a cliff and keeps walking, he will not break the law of gravity, he will prove it. All around us, people in society are walking off the edge of the cliff. They're improvising to some of life's deepest and most profound questions, and they're simply making it up best as they can as they go along. And I think I know the reason. I think the reason is that people are not comfortable with having any kind of authoritative directness telling us how to live. And so people say, oh, come on now. That really can't be the case. You, you got to give me a little wiggle room. I don't want God ruling over me. I just want God as a friend. And if there's one thing I can't stand, it's any kind of a heavy-handed authority figure. Imagine for a moment if your child or grandchild or loved one came down with some kind of a rare disease. Wouldn't you immediately begin a frantic search for the best medical authority figure that you can find. And then when you meet with them, you will listen to what they say and precisely follow their instructions. Why? Because you know it's in your best interest. Well, friends, the authority of the Holy Scriptures are in our best interest. God's holy word guides our life and our faith. It says in 1 Peter, for all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The Holy Scriptures are words that still speak to us today, no matter who we are, where we are, or what we are doing. They are timeless, and they are timely. And these words bring hope and peace and reconciliation and restoration. I want you, for just a couple of moments, consider with me on what a remarkable book the Bible is. It's been translated now into about 1,200 different languages. So here, are 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, written over a span of about 1,500 years. Contributors to this anthology range from a king to a shepherd, from a medical doctor to a choir director, and from a former tax collector to a former fisherman. The literary genres of the Bible include History, poetry, prophecies, proverbs, gospels, and personal letters. All of which at first glance looks like this 
hodgepodge patchwork of unrelated works, but all of the 31,173 verses are woven into a tight plot about a God who loved the world. If you open up this book to any of the 875 pages of paper, whatever page you may find yourself on, it will be part of this unfolding drama of the redemption of a loving God seeking to restore a broken humanity. As the Methodist minister Adam Hamilton says in his book, Making Sense of the Bible, the Bible is the authorized biography of God. And today, the Bible is the best-selling, most quoted, and most published book in the world. As a matter of fact, the New York Times uniformly omits the Bible from their bestseller list because if they didn't, the Bible would be the runaway number one bestseller every week. But most importantly, what I want you to hear from me is that the Bible's message is for us. In bright, flashing, neon lights, God says, I love you. The Bible tells us about a father who loves us so much that he comes running every time we call, who clears his calendar of everything that may be on it, and then who hangs on our every word. This is a book initiated by God, but for our sake. It reveals God's character. It chronicles humanity's problem. And it points us to the only solution, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And within the pages of Scripture, we learn that it was Jesus who lived the life that we could not live, who died a death that we should have died, who rose to give us a life we could have never had. And it is Jesus Christ alone who is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, if all of what I said is true, and I believe it is, then why are so many people uninterested as to the Bible's contents? A Gallup poll revealed that while there are 500 million Bibles published every year in the United States, that's almost two for every man, woman, and child. More than 100 million people admit that they've never opened one. 55% of adults surveyed by the Pew Research Center could not name the four Gospels. 66% do not know who delivered the Sermon on the Mount. 12% of Americans identified Joan of Arc as Noah's wife. <laughs> and 23% of people think the epistles are the apostles' wives. And by that response, so do you. <laughs> now, closer to home, only 16% of Presbyterians read their Bible, quote, regularly. And it is estimated that the average adult church member has about a 13-year-old understanding of the Bible, all of which means that it's never too early to start with people. Now, I've had people say to me, well, John, 
I, I don't really want to force Christianity down my child's throat, and I plan on having them wait until they're old enough to make up their own mind and let them decide what they want to do about their relationship with God. You know what my answer to that is? Hey, that's fine. That's fine if you feel that way. I would only ask that you follow the same logic when it comes to other areas of child rearing. Wait until your child is old enough and let them decide whether or not they want to wear shoes. Or wait until your child is old enough to decide whether they want to take baths at night or eat their vegetables or ask them if they really want to go to school to learn how to read and write. So isn't it interesting that the most important things in life for our children are things that we as parents would never think of leaving it to them on their own to decide? So then why do we so easily acquiesce and cave in when it comes to their spiritual decisions? Friends, our children, our youth, our adults need to hear the story of God's transforming love. And here in the church, it is up to us to make sure that we give it to them. This past week, I was in Plano, Texas for the Fellowship Community of Presbyterians National Gathering. This fellowship strives to be an evangelical voice within the Presbyterian Church USA that hopes to build community with each other, with different churches all over the country, but also to help churches flourish in these very interesting times in which we are living. And so we support this organization with our dollars, with our prayers, and this week with, with our presence. Now, as it pertains to the authority of Scripture, the fellowship has a statement. You can, I think, find that on our website as well. This is what it says. We glorify God by recognizing and receiving his authoritative self-revelation both in the infallible scriptures of the Old and New Testaments and also in the incarnation of God the Son. We affirm that the same Holy Spirit who overshadowed the Virgin Mary also inspired the writing and preservation of the scriptures. The Holy Spirit testifies to the authority of God's word and illumines our hearts and minds so that we might receive both the scriptures and Christ himself. You know what that means? That means that we as adults need to be willing to grow as well. You see, a central tenet of the faith is that we can undergo a change from the person that we are today into a more Christ-like being. That means our inner chemistry can be so transfigured that our response to people, to crises, to situations, can be like that of Jesus himself. Now I know you, you can't fool me. I know some of you say, well, John, I picked up the Bible. I read a few verses. I yawned. I rolled my eyes. I put it down and said, John, I don't get this. It's, it's boring. It, it tastes like broccoli going down. Well, what in the world did you expect would happen? Did you actually think angels would descend from heaven and start singing the hallelujah chorus because you decided to crack open the good book? The Christian life is about transformation. It's about us becoming new men and new women by the power of God. Dwight Moody has rightly said, the Bible wasn't just given as information, but for our transformation. 
And it is through God's word that we are growing, changing, and becoming more into the likeness of and the image of Jesus Christ. Just know that it doesn't happen right away. I don't expect you to get a spiritual high every time you open up and read your Bible. The Bible's not a drug. You know what the Bible is like? It's more like a vitamin. When you take a vitamin, you don't expect to feel this rush as if you were taking a drug. A vitamin builds you up over time. Little by little, a vitamin makes you stronger. In the same way, the Bible makes us spiritually stronger. God lives in the words of this book, and he brings them to life with power in our hearts, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in our world. Back in the 1920s, the Russian premier Joseph Stalin ordered a purging of all Bibles and, sadly, all believers. In Stavropol, a city in southwestern Russia, this order was carried out faithfully and ruthlessly. Thousands of Bibles were taken and the believers were sent to the gulags, where many died there. Fast forward to 1994, and a team of Gideons are sent to Stavropol. They didn't know the history of the city, but the team had difficulty getting Bibles shipped from Moscow, and someone mentioned that there was this warehouse outside of town where confiscated Bibles had been stored, but, believe it or not, not destroyed. The team of Gideons prayed, and they were determined to go to this warehouse and ask if those Bibles could then be redistributed. And believe it or not, permission was granted. So the next day, that team returned with the truck and several Russian workers to help load the Bibles. And one of those local Russian laborers was this hostile, agnostic young man who was simply there to earn a day's pay. And they were loading the Bibles onto the truck, and this young man just disappeared. They found him a few minutes later, and he was in the corner of that warehouse weeping. He had slipped away with one of the Bibles, and he had opened it up, and what he found pierced his soul because inside one of the Bibles he had opened just happened to be this handwritten signature. The signature was from his own grandmother, written some 70 years earlier. Out of the thousands of Bibles that were in that warehouse, that young man opened the one that belonged to his grandmother, who was also persecuted for her faith. They let him keep that Bible, and it became a catalyst for that young man to come to faith in Jesus Christ and change the course of his life. Friends, this book, it's better than money, and it's sweeter than honey. It is a lamp to our feet. It is light to our path. It is God's holy, authoritative witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ for you. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. 
Lord God, we so thank you for the truth of that old, old saying, Bibles that are falling apart belong to people who aren't. And so help each and every one of us to be more faithful, more devoted to you, more as students of your word, whether it's in a small group, a Sunday school class, or in our own personal Bible devotion time. Give us the focus to cultivate the daily disciplines of discipleship. And may our journey begin with falling in love with Jesus Christ. May we adore this authority figure that we see within your holy word. May he capture our imagination and may we imitate him in word and deed. And help us to take our vitamin each day, O God, so that we may grow big and strong as disciples of Jesus Christ. And it is in his name and power that we pray all these things. Amen.